Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. It's Monday, May 9th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. As the war in Ukraine rages on, we saw another high-profile U.S. visitor go to the country to show support. First Lady Jill Biden met with her counterpart Olena Zelenska, Ukraine's First Lady. They met at a school and showed support for mothers across the war-torn country. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for this and a look at the fallout since the leak of the draft opinion of the Supreme Court. Justice Clarence Thomas has said that the court can't be bullied and that young people now show no respect for the law. Next, we'll tell you about a man named Vaughn Smith who cleans carpets for a living. Vaughn is also a hyperpolyglot. A hyperpolyglot is someone who can speak 11 languages or more, but Vaughn is special. By his count, he can speak closer to 37 languages. To see what makes his brain tick, he decided to undergo an MRI at MIT and found that his brain does not function like that of a monolingual person. Jessica Contrera, reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for more about Vaughn and what drove him to learn so much, a deep need for understanding others. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I wanted to come on Mother's Day. I thought it was important to show the Ukrainian people that this war has to stop. And this war has been brutal. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Well, let's uh, get a quick update on the war in Ukraine. We saw another high-profile visit, this time from First Lady Jill Biden. She met her counterpart there, Olena Zelenska, and uh, they met at a school. Uh, this is the first I think I've ever seen of the Ukrainian First Lady. But, you know, just again, uh, another show of support from the American people and and a plea for everything to, to end there. That's right. I mean, I think it's uh, fair to say that this is stretched on much longer than anyone thought. We still see this fighting in Ukraine um, now months into this conflict. And there has been an effort by the American government, by President Biden and others to continue to draw attention to it by sending high profile Americans to the region and now to the country to try to remind Americans and Ukrainians that the American government is backing the Ukrainian effort there. So um, on Sunday, First Lady Jill Biden, a teacher, met um, the First Lady of Ukraine in the school, as you said. Um, and this was really sort of a Mother's Day showing of mother solidarity there. Um, you know, it's been very difficult for the First Lady of Ukraine, as she and her husband have said, uh, with threats on his life, with um, where they took her and her children. And so this was really meant to draw attention to the plight of women, um, not just her, but all 
all of the women in Ukraine who have had to flee. Let's talk a little bit about some of the aftermath of the leak of the draft Supreme Court opinion that could overturn Roe v. Wade. On Friday, we heard from Justice Clarence Thomas, and you know he didn't address it specifically, but he, he said that the court can't be bullied into giving what people want. People say the leak happened so everybody can start knowing about it. Maybe we've seen protests already. Hopefully it could pressure some of the justices to change their opinions. But he's saying no, you know, and he's he's also saying that, you know, there's a different attitude from young people now that they don't respect the law. They don't respect it anymore. And and uh, he says, you know, that that's got to change. You know, there's been competing theories. Was it leaked to try to get pressure on those five justices to change their mind or pressure on those five justices not to change their mind? But we did hear from Justice Thomas, uh, one of the five, and one who has been quite open about the fact that he would overturn Roe v. Wade before, but had previously lacked enough of his colleagues to do so. And we have seen some protests, both uh, nationwide and around the the Capitol. I mean, the the Capitol and the Supreme Court, they're across the street from one another. Uh, They put up a fence around the Supreme Court building. It's supposed to be unscalable. Um, Those protests have been along the rest of sort of the walkway that's there. And we've also seen what we believe to be a couple of examples of justices changing their schedules. They were supposed to speak or appear at events, deciding not to do so because they were worried that protests would be disruptive. Um, but I think that it would be unlikely, even, you know, whoever leaked it, whatever it was leaked, whatever would have happened, um, that these justices would let the public opinion sort of sway them into right. changing their minds. I mean, they are pretty sad and many of them have been pretty clear in the past uh, that this was a place they were going. Yeah, there's been a lot of warnings, basically, hey, this is a draft opinion, it could change, but I don't think anybody thinks it's going to change completely. You know, some wording here and there, maybe a a couple of protections here and there could remain in place, but overall, it just seems like that's where we're going. And we've already seen a few uh, examples, uh, uh, previews, I guess you could say, of what's going on. So the leak happened on Monday. On Tuesday, Oklahoma passed a law banning abortions after six weeks, uh, and the method, I guess, was very similar to what Texas is doing. And, you know, right away, uh, some of the uh, clinics out there were turning patients away. uh, And then it led to that mad scramble. You know, the the women had to call other places, see where else they can go. And this is just kind of a preview of what people expect if Roe gets uh, overturned. And there's about 13 states that have these things called trigger laws. So as soon as that gets overturned, uh, a lot of these states just basically uh, outright ban abortion. So this is kind of where we're gearing up to. That's right. I mean, six weeks is effectively um, nearly a total ban. I mean, those pregnancies that are detected in the first uh, two weeks, you know, past an expected period, if you're regular, um, would be the only ones that might be able to qualify if they were able to get to those services in time. So six weeks is very limiting. Um, and you're right, we're going to see more states uh, either activate their trigger laws, laws that are already on the books that will go into effect once, uh, as expected, Roe gets overturned or start passing new ones. Um, I mean, there's going to be a number of states where women currently today can get an abortion. Um, and at some point, likely in the next few months, they will no longer be able to do so. Um, so this is the first preview, you know, Texas. And what was really a preview of what they thought the court was going to do, the Texas law was allowed to remain in effect um, before we've even known about this Dobbs decision. So it seems that other states are going to follow suit and we're going to see those states that would be inclined to prohibit it start doing so here pretty quickly. Well, we'll see what happens. We're expecting to get the full opinion sometime in June, I believe. But, you know, we'll see. There's going to be a lot of conversation about this leading all the way up to that. Ginger Gibson, 
Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Yeah, I have to, I have to work. Um, you know, it's like a logic puzzle. Try to put words together to find out what one word means. So I'm using context and stuff. I don't even have to look at a dictionary. Usually I could just guess what it is or I have a bracket of what it is. It could mean seven different things. Joining us now is Jessica Contrera, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Jessica. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about an interesting man. His name is Vaughn Smith. He's 46 years old. He cleans carpets for a living right now. Uh, and he's also a hyper polyglot. So this is somebody who speaks multiple languages. I think the definition is at least 11 languages, but Vaughn can speak, uh, I don't know, some 30-something languages, all varying degrees of, uh, of uh, fluentness, but some he's very fluent in, some he's uh, just moderate, some he can carry on uh, deep conversations with. The guy knows a ton of languages. You got to spend some time with him, and then you also went with him to go get his brain scan to see if... He's different. If his brain is different than uh, most normal people who only know one, maybe two languages. So, Jessica, help us uh, through the, uh, walk through this. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Vaughn. Yeah, he's really this incredible person, and it's been such a joy to spend time with him. You know, when I first heard that there was this guy out there and he could speak, you know, more than two dozen languages, I, of course, was like a little skeptical. <laughs> um, right. But it turns out that, that some people, they really have this ability. There have been a number of um, what we call hyperpolyglots documented throughout history and living today. And even though Vaughn, you know, definitely does not flaunt this and does doesn't necessarily where, you know, even really tell people about it. I've seen him in action using his language skills, and it's just completely remarkable. So, yes, he has about um, 24 languages that he can carry on lengthy conversations in. And when I asked him to please count all of his languages that he knows, you know, at least the basics in, the number was uh, just over 40. Wow. <laughs> it's a pretty amazing. And in talking to him and, you know, uh, doing the write-up on all this, you kind of come to understand maybe why he wanted to learn all this. So, he, I mean, he really has this deep need for wanting to understand 
other people, multiple people. And in learning the language, you know, learning where the people come from themselves, learning more about the person, even the person on the other end feels good about it, right? It's uh, almost seeing them for a sense of worth that they might not have had before just because he takes so much interest in who they are and the language that they know. Let's talk a little bit about more of those languages, though. So he's fluent in at least eight. He says fluent. So that's English, Spanish, Portuguese, Russian, Czech, Slovak, Bulgarian, and Romanian. Those are his top ones. But he's got so much other languages under his belt. One of the most interesting things about Bon is he's actually very interested in indigenous languages. So there are a lot of languages that have died out in our world, and there are many that are still endangered. And so he has spent part of his time investing in those languages, some that are more well-known, like Nahuatl in Mexico, and some that are are really spoken by a small, small number of people. So um, one of his favorite languages is the Salish language, which is spoken by a group of people in Montana, and they have really welcomed Vaughn into their community. You know, he didn't just sort of read this on the internet. He actually has been to Montana multiple times, been to the reservation where there is a language school for Salish, um, and he's constantly working to improve his Salish skills um, and really try to spread love of indigenous and native languages to all different kinds of people to show them that, you know, they have value, that he values them. And it's really infectious to watch. Definitely. And who, uh, Vaughn Smith as a person, uh, where does he come from? Where does he live? You know, what set him off to kind of learn so many languages at a young age? So Vaughn grew up in and around Washington, D.C., which really he credits as a huge reason for how he was able to have exposure to so many languages. Of course, there are people from all around the world who live here in the D.C. community. And particularly when he was in high school, he had already sort of realized he had this affinity for language. And, you know, as we talked about, I think what Vaughn wants is is what everyone wants is to, to feel connected to the people around them. And in a lot of ways, Vaughn did struggle with that. He realized later in life that he is most likely on the autism spectrum. And so certain things like social cues, you know, are a little bit more difficult for him. But through languages, he really offers him an ability to connect with all different kinds of people. So at his high school, where there were many different groups of students from around the world, he used languages as a way to become friends with different groups of people. So by the time he was finishing up high school, he already was working on Amharic, (laughs) Russian. He was working on Romanian. He was already amassing a huge amount of languages, as well as, you know, his native languages, which are both English and Spanish. There's a video on the website for this story. Within the story, you have a bunch of clips of him speaking, you know, whatever language, (laughs) insert language here, right? You have him speaking all sorts of stuff. But one thing that I did uh, find interesting, right, is his English accent, let's say. There is really no accent. It's very neutral. And you would think somebody speaking so many languages, some stuff might have rubbed off or anything. But yeah, his English accent, very neutral. What what did you think of, of that? 
Oh, yeah, that's a really interesting observation, especially because something that Vaughn does incredibly well from the people I've talked to is called like accent reproduction. So if you, he were to ask you, you know, how do you say, what are we having for dinner in Lithuanian? Um, and a Lithuanian speaker said the sentence back to him, he would be able to replicate it almost perfectly. And wow. so all of these different people that I watched him interact with, they were just amazed by his accent reproduction and, and, and the, the accuracy of his accents. Now, that's not to say he's perfect in all of them by any means. But when, for example, we were in a Starbucks and he befriended some people, he heard their accent, his friend went up to them and, and they started talking. We learned that they spoke Dutch. And so he started um, speaking in Dutch with them. And they were just totally amazed that he's, he's never been to the Netherlands. In fact, he's never traveled really much at all, except for to Mexico in a very brief trip to Belgium. Um, otherwise, he has not been to a lot of these places, but his accent in those languages is, is really remarkable. All right, let's talk about his brain now, because one of the curiosities, right, is how can somebody know so much? How can he carry on so many languages fluently and, and really connect with people on those deeper levels, you know, in, in languages that's not native to him? Uh, so the question was, you know, is something different about his brain? You accompanied him to MIT where they did a brain scan on him. They played languages and, and kind of watched how his brain was firing off. And some interesting things came out of there because you also got your brain scan too. And what you basically learn is that his brain isn't working as hard as uh, someone like you, maybe myself, who I know English and Spanish, and that's pretty much it. But uh, his brain isn't working as hard as ours would be. That's right. So basically what we wanted to know from these folks at MIT who have been studying how the brains make language is essentially does his brain look different than my brain or just any other monolingual brain. I myself, I've, I've really struggled always to learn language. And now I realize maybe I, I sort of have been copping out a little bit and just saying, <laughs> oh, it's difficult for me. So I don't have the time to do it as much as I would love to. But what I've learned, you know, from Vaughn is that like, it doesn't matter if you do it perfectly when you try, you know, you really are showing someone a sign of respect. And so I watched Vaughn do this over and over again. I really wanted to know what was happening in his brain. So yes, what we learned from Evelina Federenko at MIT and our graduate students was that when you look at our brains under an fMRI machine and you put us through tests that show, you know, we were sort of reading English words and when we would see a word that has meaning in English, our, those language areas of our brains would light up on the screen essentially by tracking the blood flow in our brains. And it became very clear um, when they analyzed the results that Vaughn's language areas are incredibly small which is a little bit counterintuitive, right? You would think, oh, they're, they're going to be big because they are storing so much information. Um, but how it actually works is, is sort of like a muscle, right? Because his, it's so efficient, right? He, he doesn't need to use that much of his brain in order to do the task of comprehending language, whereas I need to use a larger part of my brain. His language areas are very small and they're very efficient. It's very interesting and just kind of going along with the theme of this, you know, he's so incredible a person, right, to be able to learn so many languages. And you write at the beginning of the piece, but why is he cleaning carpets? You know, uh, somebody can speak so many languages. I mean, you can make a very lucrative career being an interpreter, different things like that. But he 
didn't go that route. Uh, I guess he found it difficult to stick with certain jobs or just never had opportunities. And he kind of likes the casualness of what he does. Yeah, I think in our society, we're really accustomed to deciding someone's value based on kind of what's on their resume, right? And you have someone like Vaughn, especially in a place like D.C., he didn't go to college. And things like making a resume, things like knowing, okay, here's how I apply to a job, you know, kind of point A to point B, those kinds of executive tasks are definitely more difficult for him. Um, Reading social cues is more difficult for him. And so what he explained to me is, even though he would really like to be utilizing his languages for work, it's just been really difficult for him to find something that would work and last. And so right now, I think a lot of people in his life feel like he has these talents that are being wasted in some ways. And I do, I, I do see that. But I also see that despite that, he finds all different kinds of ways to find meaning in his life. You know, I've never met somebody with so many hobbies. He, you know, he has a model train set. He develops film photography. He's an amazing cook. He travels um, and he makes the time to just sort of sit in a coffee shop and meet new people. And, uh, you know, here in D.C., everything is so frequently go, 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 you know, one achievement to the next. And so I think spending time with Vaughn has been really inspiring for me to think about, you know, not just, okay, I'm going to really put in the time now to learn Spanish and Italian, (laughs) but also um, sort of shape my view of how I spend my time and how I connect with the world. And that's the coolest part, reading through this and then your profile of him. You do feel that. And I could just imagine, uh, you know, some type of travel show with him as a center. You drop him in any country, <laughs> he learns the language on the spot and, uh, you know, does all the other crazy stuff that you do on these travel channels, uh, travel shows. But he, he seems like, you know, something perfect for something like that. Either, either way, really good uh, uh, profile of Vaughn Smith right here, the hyper polyglot. Jessica Contrera, reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for for having me on and for highlighting the story. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.